0: Okay, here we go, here we go. For whatever reason, everything's running a little behind this morning. Maybe you just like each other, that's good. But um, we should pray and we should go, otherwise I'll train you to come later and later and then that'll be the end, okay? Hey, wherever you are, fold your hands, close your eyes, here we go. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you've gathered us from out of the ends of the earth to make a people who serves you. Grant the increase of your Holy Spirit that your name is glorified among us and that all who sit in darkness are brought to the glorious light of your son through jesus christ our lord amen hey good to see you thanks for being here we got scads of stuff all of a sudden there's there's a bunch of stuff to do you know all the, the relaxation of epiphany is almost over let's see if i can get all this stuff in a row um somebody asked me what alms are and i always talk about alms and i you know i just kind of presumed you knew but then that's not quite good so You know, alms is just whatever money you give beyond your tithe. The best example I can think of in the scriptures is where people who owned land weren't supposed to reap all the way to the edges of their field. They were supposed to leave a couple of feet so that the poor could come and reap, so they worked for themselves, but they always had something to to feed themselves. So alms are just, you know, it's just extra money you give on to people. We drop something in the basket. Um, This week, if you drop some money in, it will go to St. Matthew's Soup Kitchen, you remember Donna Loza's dad uh, did this for a, a long time down in the city. Um, it's very cold, so that means they have a lot of extra people coming in to be warm and also to be fed. And they've had some troubles, I think, with the building, um, you know, leaking the roof and all that kind of stuff. So whatever you give you, give you, you know, we'll go to somebody else who's in need. Uh, it's just a way of being kind to people. So there you go. There's all sorts of things to be signing up for, and this is about the time when people who count noses are getting nervous so um you know it all takes us a while for everybody to sign up but uh who's a- is is Mrs. Howenstein here today? yeah, okay is there somebody if you're is there somebody who would take responsibility for women signing up who's going to the women's retreat anybody just a blank piece of paper, kathy so if you want to go just Okay. Oh, i sorry. You came up. I, that's right. You were working. That, sorry, Kathy. We <laughs> traded you for a uh, first-round pick and a player to be named later and a million, and a million bucks. So um, if you're going to go to the women's retreat, now is the time to sign up. So if you see Nancy, that would be fantastic. I think the deal is, I think it's 30 or 35 bucks. It's a little more if you want to stay overnight. Is that right? You yes, don't have to stay overnight if you want to. Money should not be an issue. If, uh, and it's a great thing to bring your friends to. These things are great things to bring your friends to. They're utterly non-threatening. This will be, be a great thing. Don't let money be an issue. If you know somebody who doesn't have enough money, just get to me, we'll take care of it. It's no, no trouble. So if you're going to the Women's Retreat, February 28 and March 1, sign up. I look like David Scare in the pulpit. Uh, I look, uh, uh, Sign up with Nancy, okay? Men's Retreat, who's got the board for the Men's Retreat? Anybody? Do I have somebody? zeller where is zeller young zeller it's like it's like the, the sheep who've lost their way this morning people are scattered but i think they all like each other you want to do it you're the guy you got it you got a got a sheet you guys hopkins you got a sheep? are you the guy hopkins is the guy so hopkins is leaving now so offended he is all i'm asking you to do is be a christian give me a break okay so here's the thing if you want to go to the men's retreat, however the men finagled this, theirs is free. I don't know, we've got to get with the women. They got, um, But the men's is free. Unless If you just go to the retreat, it's free. If you're, if you're just here to Dean Wenty. I, I think even beer and breakfast is free. So you can't beat this. If you're staying overnight, I know, this is how much better could this be? Food and beer and Dean Wenty. So here's the thing. Bring a friend. If you're staying overnight, then find a roommate and it costs a little bit of money. okay? And we changed our location. We're going to the Hilton right down by 88, okay? So, when Hopkins comes back through the door, sign up, boys, it's time, okay? Don't, don't put it off. Then the carnival thing, yeah. all right. Uh, we need, Brenda needs you to sign up because she's engaging a caterer. So, you know, the four of you that have signed up, thank you very much. No, it's not like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're going, you know, and people tend to sign up late, but really people who are responsible for guessing how much food and daycare, or daycare to provide and all that, if you could talk to Brenda, that would be fantastic. And the meal, strutzel, on behalf of his wife, will do the meal thing. I was stunned to have somebody say to me, I really was last night, I got meals for eight, for eight weeks from St. John. I mean, that's the kind of thing people don't talk about. That's a stunningly cool thing, that somebody who was ill got meals from you all for eight weeks and nobody talked about it. It's kind of cool you didn't talk about it. We probably should talk about it a little bit. Because <laughs> it encourages people then to do it. Like It, it can't be that, that hard because there are enough people that you can do it for eight weeks. You know, it's just so nice. If you can't cook, you can dial, you know, order online from Domino's. It's not that hard. You just put in your credit card rather than somebody else's. It's easy, okay? Not to, All right. So there we go. One, two, three, four things to sign up. Sign up now, please. Sign up now. You'd think you'd hardly know we weren't in a paperless, paper worldless age, okay? If you go to hell. We don't have a pen. The <laughs> thing is, man. Here's the reason you should go to hell. Because I give a pen every week and it never comes back. <laughs> Every week I load that thing with a pen. Every week it comes back without the pen. Who is stealing the pen? You do get a hell for stealing. All right, all right. that's what people always say when they sinned. Right, okay. Just kidding about the hell? Just kidding, just kidding. All right, so um, all right. a little cleanup from last week, and then we'll go this week. Questions about anything? Yes, Mr. Yonker. Yes. 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 Uh, how about uh, those who love who that care and, and are in denial about um, Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. So the question is I talked about acedia last week. I'm going to lead with that actually, which is this, you know, er, you know, it's difficult when you pull this in under the sin of sloth, because while you know, we've learned more since the 6th century or the 12th century about how our brain works and how depression works and despondency, so um, your question is when somebody you see it in somebody but they won't go for help, the answer is um, there's ways you can gently bump and nudge people, but at the end of the day it's very hard to force anybody to do anything you know, I mean, the extreme is you go to a judge, or right, and have somebody committed, that's the far edge. But short of that, you know, there are people who just won't be helped, and it really is true, if people don't want to be helped, it's really difficult to help them. And that's always hard, you know, because you want to help them, but then you enable them, all these borders you cross, and it's very, very difficult. Uh, I think the best you can do is stick with people and try to love them, but love them doesn't always mean to indulge them. So, you Everybody's different, and that's part of the care of you give to another Christian. As part of the pastor, or part of the care a pastor gives, it's also part of the care that a counselor or a therapist would give as well. Um, so let me pause and just take that up, and I'll let me. I'm going to come back to this. There's at least three ways that this works. I would say to you, um, you know, one is just the just the laziness factor, and people just, you know, in some ways need to be. Rebuked but I, I don't that doesn't always for you that always for Lutherans that always means so much force they just you can say you know you can put people under the law very gently by just saying you know that's not what Jesus made you for I mean that's a pretty harsh statement of the law but I didn't have to yell it at you and I didn't have to go on about it for ten minutes I mean you can level people pretty easily with a you know a ten word sentence that's said very softly so you have to be very careful with that For some people, when it's just spiritual difficulty that needs confession and then forgiveness, the kind of simple law and gospel stuff that you all grow up with as Lutherans, you know, that's not what Jesus asks of you, or that runs against the life of Jesus. And then he forgives you and let's do better. That's sort of classic stuff you hear here, right? In the middle can be, you know, kind of the sine wave of your own spiritual life, and we've talked about that in different ways. So You know, I've encouraged you over the years to kind of watch your own spiritual life and be able to see, you know, in your own life when you're challenged, and sometimes those challenges can show themselves as a lack of energy. Sometimes we just wear ourselves out, sometimes we're just heavily pressed, and you might need, I would say everybody needs, including me, somebody to sort that through, because it's hard when you're under the gun to see your own life, and so... I can recognize in myself, for example, when I'm spiritually worn down. I can see in myself when particular things tempt me. I can see in myself particular reactions I have to that, both good and bad. And I know uh, when I can control my own circumstances, how to repair myself. But um, often I can't control all the circumstances about me and I need repair from outside, from other people, whether it be a confessor or encouragement from somebody or just somebody to kind of bear the load. So, And one has to be careful because if you don't do that, then what happens is you become inactive. And if you're inactive, you're not useful to anybody. The far edge of this is when the chemicals in your brain change, when the patterns are so ingrained over years and years and years, when things just seem dark and you don't know what to do. That's the far edge. And that's why I was talking about people need to get help, really professional kind of help, and really beyond um, often beyond what a pastor does. I don't do what a counselor does. Um, so my advice to people often is, you know, go see a therapist, and if it's bad enough, go to the emergency room. I mean, uh, I, you know, because those people are trained to level people out so that we can help. The other thing I'll just say is, it's very difficult to give pastoral care to somebody who's, has mentally, who's mentally ill in any form, or in some ways has a disease that's debilitating. One of the first things I learned here. When I came to St. John was I was working with somebody who had um, MS and I didn't realize that that kind of kind of kinks the wires in your head and it's hard to think logically and I was working and I was trying to figure out this doesn't seem to see it doesn't work and then I kind of got some help and they're like yeah one of the it scrambles your brain among other things well when somebody's scrambled and they can be scrambled because of drug abuse because of alcoholism because of chemicals in their brain because of a physical ailment from years of abuse, it's you have to actually work with those things at the same time. Otherwise, simply saying to people, as so often Christians do, "Jesus loves you. Why don't you get better?" is really not very helpful, right? But you, it's this combination of we're body, soul, and spirit and mind and all those things need to be worked with. I've told you the story before of, you know, um, uh, you know Mother Teresa. We talked about this. She had these bouts of spiritual darkness, and you know there was a story that was you know, widely reported and then kind of hushed up where she was checked into a hospital and kind of a local priest took it upon himself to conduct an exorcism on Mother Teresa. And when then when people found out about that, people were horrified. One is because classically for an exorcism, you always have people have a physical exam first and second, you usually have a bishop's permission or you have some higher up. Or, so, you know, kind of this guy like got way over, out over his skis, you know, um, which we try not to do, right? We try to... So, so I want to be careful. I don't want you to, what I don't want you to do, what I did want you to do was try to understand how these deadly sins are talked about. What I don't want you to do is start looking around the room and identifying deadly sins in other people. You'll have a whole summer's worth of homework if you just look at yourself, okay? Um, but in these kind of situations, it's a legitimate question. Sometimes you have family members and you say you really need some help, but honestly, And if you've ever talked to anybody who's been engaged in addiction or had needed mental health care or even needed to come to church, at the end of the day, you know, you can't force anybody to do anything. For a very short period of time, you might be able to force somebody to do something, but it's very difficult. Okay, so try not to leave. This is more an awareness thing than a lean on thing. And it's certainly not an encouragement for you to go out and hang up your shingle, because when it gets at this point, you know, refer, refer, refer. Okay, questions again, just a little more about that. I just wanted to make you aware that the church has always engaged this, and so you know we're not—it's not unknown to us—but we do get help when we need it, Karen, my friend.
1: I don't know if I want to say this right.
0: Well then, okay. Well, okay.
1: Often in my in my work with blind outreach.
0: Yeah.
1: Often denial is a symptom of the disease. Right. And it has to be. Um, be very carefully addressed because um, you don't want the person to skip over a phase of the grief process. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but, you know, with any kind of a loss, including vision, there is a grief process that takes place. You don't want to skip and step over any of those phases. The other thing that concerns me about all this is that there are an awful lot of fraudulent therapists out there that would seek to diminish faith and put emphasis on, for example, toys, and and that that scared me.
0: Um, I think you're right on both things, so let's kind of do them. The easy one is the second one, which is I sort of keep a list of people that, real honestly, people at St. John have worked with and have, uh, have had good fortune, and I, or the people that I trust have recommended me to. So if you ever need somebody like this, just give me a buzz. It'll be easy for me to refer you to somebody. So there can be fraudulent people, and there can be people who say, you know, the little baby Jesus is your great big problem. However, um, it's pretty easy to kind of wash that out and still get the proper kind of care that people need. The first one, I think you're exactly right. Now, here's the thing. You're a mom. It's not unlike, I would suggest to you, or I would, ha- it's not unlike raising your kids. When you have kids, you're always trying to figure out, you know, how, how, hard, how hard to lean on them, when to back up. You know, whether you let them fend for, for themselves, when you help them out. There's an art to this, and we often don't get it right. Um, I would say that the same thing probably happens with the people that you work with. It's very difficult to work with human beings. They're living, breathing, always challenged, sometimes work well, sometimes don't. It's very difficult. What you can do is give them a few things to hold on to, and that's what we try to do in the church. Or, frankly, if you go to a therapist, a therapist's primary job is to give people strategies for how to um, survive and get better. So it is an art form working with people. We're very complex. That should make us very patient. But it shouldn't let us ignore the things that we have uh, that we know are there and need to be healed up. So you, you make a really good point. Um, you know, Karen, honestly, you and I, we've got to do something. So we want to try to do the best we can. You okay? Still okay? So then I would push you toward, uh, just the last thing on that outline, and then I'm going to go to the next one. Um, one of the things that we've always talked about here is you know, kind of whole person, and I just sort of give you this thing about, um, from St. Augustine, you need three things. You need to delight the heart, engage the mind, and also persuade the will, and it's not enough to just, you know, try to engage just the mind, or it's not enough just try to engage just the will. I read an early um, New York Times editorial about Obama, so this is neither about the New York Times or about it was in the New York Times magazine, so this was these are people who like him very much. So this is neither political nor um, any comment on the Times. It's just it's just there was a very interesting article very early about the frustrations they said that President Obama felt. And the guy the guy said basically President Obama is a very bright man. He's thought about a lot of things. One of the problems he's, one of the reasons he's struggling so much is he thought that he could just get up in front of um, people and say I've thought about this a lot, and here uh, you just follow me because it's all going to work out. And um, what what the the guy explained is, or what the guy postulated, he said he should have read more classical philosophy, or frankly, St. Augustine. That is, that people need to be engaged on many levels. You cannot just appeal to people's minds. So for example, I'll just give you the practical equivalent. Um, when you're writing a constitution for a church or when you're calling a pastor or having a voters meeting, there's this old rule in Lutheranism where you just sort of say, well, the pastor takes care of the spiritual things and we take care of the rest. Well, see, here's the thing. What color you paint the sanctuary is a spiritual thing. People always say, you know, the color of this carpet, which is uh, country club green. We inherited it and, you know, it makes you want to break out a nine iron and take a couple of divots out of it. But... Uh, you know, people always say, hey, you know, the color of the carpet doesn't matter. I would say to you, au contraire. You know, the color of the carpet matters. When I can remember, you know, when we were having meetings about the sanctuary, one of the ideas that was floated by, you know, a person who wasn't um, sort of given to beauty was we should have some noise muffling mechanisms so to keep the reverberations down. So, you know, the, so that, of course, that makes us the sort of thing that, that makes musicians blow their brains out, right? <laughs> Um, you know you have to so there's this there's always in everything you do everything you do has a spiritual component because it always appeals you know to the soul as well and so in some sense there isn't anything that's done in the church that's not a pastoral or spiritual concern on the other hand a pastor shouldn't do everything that's not a good use of your pastor so you have to have this combination of how you figure out how people work together people rise to the level of expertise but they also realize they're always, and this is the key phrase, in service to the church. That everything you do is in service to Christ in the church. In service, in service, in service, in service. And I probably should also say that it's in service to Christ in the church. Okay. Nobody performs, nobody rules, nobody gets their way. Everything is in service to Christ and everybody else in the church. So everything is in play. However, we all have to give way when somebody knows more about how to build a pipe organ, how to paint a wall, how to design flow, how to hang a dart ball board, whether you should throw your darts like this or like this. There are people in this congregation who can tell you that, Mr. Scheidt. <laughs> is he back? There he is. OK. <laughs> did, we, did, we, did we send the dart ball? Well, are we recruiting for dart ball, too, in addition to all the other things we're recruiting for? So if you want to play dart ball, see Mr. Shite. Okay. Are you good? So these are real live questions. I'm not trying to and I can't actually um, I can't actually you know do kind of personal care in a public venue, but I just sort of put out there that um, all these things are uh, you have to deal with people as they are. you have to deal with all of the person, and it's extraordinarily complicated. And when somebody is better at something than you are, give way. Let me just also say that if you're the person who is put in charge of somebody who's better, get the job done, because there's a lot of people dependent on you, okay? So just, you know, all those things kind of play together. Now I might be far afield from sloth. I need to pull back. You okay? All right, now I'm going to go to where we were today. So, um, the next thing is this notion of might or fortitude. So I'm at number nine. This is the new piece that was handed out to you today. Okay, so you know the text we've been working with. These are gifts of Christ that are then given on to his church, that are actually given unto to you, um, Isaiah 11. And these things have been talked about, you know, throughout all the New Testament, but this is one of the primary passages. So the Spirit of God shall rest on him, but then you're the church, you're the body of Christ, and so it rests on you, or you're baptized, so Christ lives in you, so these are in you, right? And the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear and delight. So we've been working backwards through the list and we're to this notion of might. I have a point number two. In the Old Testament, this has the sense of strength, of course, strength, but interestingly also of mastery. And see if you can hold those two things together. It's not just strength. It's not just that you can push people around, but there's mastery. There's you know sometimes you do need to exert your will, but that's very rare. You know, Jesus, you know, a a, a bruised reed he will not break, you know, a smoldering wick he will not put out. Jesus was exceptionally strong, and yet rarely was that, did that, engage people in a way that crushed them. In fact, not on earth, right? So, um, this is the doing that follows the knowing, okay? So, now it's the point of having the strength to execute, now, I just gave you, as uh, I thought you might need a text or two, I gave you 2 Corinthians 4, If you just want to push to that. Um, I just want to remind you of a couple of things from 2 Corinthians 4. Okay? So we have this ministry by the mercy of God, this diaconia. We have this ministry, this diaconia, where you get deacon and deaconess, it's the, it's the word for service, or service in love. It comes as ministry, but because that's because the ministry or as we say, the office of the ministry, the delivery of the word, the delivery of baptism, the delivery of the Eucharist. And then what follows from that, today's sermon being salt and light, uh, being kind to people, being loving. We have this ministry, it's that whole package, by the mercy of God. So God gives it to us and we don't lose heart. Because here's the deal. It's very difficult. Mercy is not seen, no matter what the world says, mercy is not seen uh, as an attribute. It's seen as an attribute when people when people, you know, think it's an ad- when, when it serves people's purposes, and when it serves their self-described ends, then mercy is accepted. But um, you know, when it doesn't, people appreciate the force that gives them their way. Okay, so you know, be careful. You know, because this is going to be difficult for you. When you renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways, you ref- refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God' wor- God's word. You know, when you refuse to live like the world lives, that's going to be extraordinarily difficult for you. Okay? Now, I just note for you the key words that are used in this text. You know, by every statement of truth, verse 2. Right? Or, it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, verse 6, who shone in our hearts. So you start to build a vocabulary for how you talk about this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That is, we may not be very much of a big deal, verse 7, but we have this divine treasure that shows the transcendent power of God. The transcendent power is power that is divine, that is revealed to us. It pierces through the cosmos, it comes down through the clouds, it lands on earth and it belongs to God, it's not to us, okay? So we'll just hold that for just a second. So basically, um, we finished up with knowledge. Knowledge tells us what to do. Now, whether we can have the courage to do what is right. I'm turning the page. So might or fortitude is this divine energy that Jesus gives us so that we can follow him. We've talked about this for weeks and weeks, 1 Corinthians 12, about how the Holy Spirit comes, and when he comes, he doesn't come empty-handed. When he comes, he comes as energy, Okay? Might or fortitude is divine energy for following the way of Jesus. It is the strength to actually do things, you know, to choose good, to flee evil, even if you have to suffer. And it is the strength to survive these cosmic battles of holy, what is holy, and what is demonic. Okay? Now, one of the interesting things that I would ask you, and I've asked you in the past, but I'll ask you again and again to observe this is that might or fortitude in the church is exercised best when it is exercised with calm. Okay, disorder and chaos are always the mark of the d- d- demonic. Calm order is always the mark of the Lord. So what the first thing the first thing that happens in Genesis is the Lord comes to the tohu wabohu, the chaos, And he gives it very calmly by speaking. He doesn't hit it. He doesn't curse it. He doesn't kick it around. By speaking very calmly, let there be light, and there's light. That's not unlike when Jesus says to the blind man, now you can see, and he can see. Or when he says to the bread and the wine, this is my body, this is my blood. Very calmly, even in the face of stress, this calm fortitude, strength, might, to do what is right, to do what's merciful, to do what's good. And so I give you the text there, you know, be sober-minded, be watchful, you know, be sober-minded, which is, you know, not chaos, not drama. You know, sometimes people run around churches like their hair is on fire. That's not the way of Jesus. You see Jesus get exercised that way in a very few situations, maybe the cleansing of the temple, you know, there's a couple others you probably, and Jesus does get righteously anger, but as we've talked about in the past, righteously angry, but as we've talked about in the past, you probably should leave that to him, because I don't know human beings who are very good at it, we're not very good at it, we, we we spew it all over the place and we don't let it die, you remember, let you, don't let the sun go down and you're angry, you have about one day to be angry, not more, it needs to be well directed the way it was with Jesus, so... What would be more fruitful for you to concentrate on is how to exercise the might that's been given to you in a calm and orderly way. For example, when they're nailing Jesus to the cross, and his response is to give them the most powerful thing he has, which is the forgiveness of sins. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing right now. Okay? That's response to a chaotic and stressful situation, with a great deal of power. You remember, for example, when he's on the cross and they taunt Jesus, if you're the Son of God, come down. You recognize that as exactly the words that the devil said to Jesus in Matthew 4 when he tempted him. If you're the Son of God, then turn these stones to bread. It's the very same words that Peter used um, in Caesarea Philippi when he said, Jesus says, now I'm going to, we're going to turn and go south, and I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter said, that will never happen to you. And he has to say, get behind me, Satan. It's the very same words that come out of Jesus' own mouth when he says, is there a different way that we can do this? This can pass for me in Gethsemane. I mean, he takes those words on his own lips, and then he destroys them by going to the cross. The very same temptation he faces when they say, if you're the son of God, come down. Jesus, in each of those cases, chooses a calm, strong reply that keeps the order of him as the second person of the Trinity and God incarnate. He keeps the order of Jesus Christ as light and truth. And so when you have churches that, you know, everything is going crazy, when everybody's running around, when people raise their voices, when, you know, when, when you have that, you've slipped into, you know, the anti I mean, frankly, you slipped into the Antichrist, the Antichrist way of doing things. The way of Jesus is to do things calmly and strongly, but calmly, right? And to trust the strength that he has given. So you're sober-minded, you're watchful. Why? Because the devil, devil would like to devour you. Um, you know, I've talked about this in the past. The devil is very slick. You know, he hits you where you're weakest and comes in a way that is very engaging. You know, the temptations even to Jesus were ways that were very engaging. I can show you a way to be a Messiah so you don't have to go to the cross. It took a tremendous amount of strength for Jesus to say, I'll go to the cross because that's what it will take to save people. The temptations to Jesus were that he save himself, that he'd be a Messiah without a cross. If that would have been good for him, it would have been very bad for you. It would have been good for Satan, it would have been very bad for the Heavenly Father. Okay. So you see this already in Jesus himself, this calm fortitude. Strength does not have to be, strength does not have to be the kind of force that crushes people with a bang. You know, strength is often in kindness, in gentleness, in mercy, in service. Okay? Now, I give you the next thing. A little philosophy lesson, but a very small one. Um, often you hear about cardinal virtues and theological virtues or natural virtues and churchly virtues. Um, The philosophers were big on this, some of the church philosophers were big on this, Um, and sometimes you'll see might or fortitude listed as a as a cardinal virtue. So basically it means that anybody can be courageous. So when I've talked to soldiers, um, often what to a person when I've talked to them, to soldiers who have been at war, they confess that they were scared out of their minds. Okay? that fear. So courage isn't that you're not afraid. You know, Courage isn't that you're not afraid. Courage is that you manage. Fortitude is that you manage the fear in a particular way, in a way that saves your life and hopefully is productive. Now, pretty much anybody can do that. A good pagan can be a good soldier if they can manage their fear. But in the church, might or fortitude means even more than that. You know, this is the stuff of spiritual, of spiritual struggle. You know, when we read a week or two ago that said, you know, we don't, you know, we don't engage human troubles. You know, we engage the prince of the power of darkness, right? We engage powers and principalities. Um, it's a very frightening thing in some ways. But then on the other, you know the old story about Luther where he wakes up one night and the devil's on the end of his bed and he says to him, uh, it's just you, and he rolls over and he goes back to sleep. Right. Or C.S. Lewis, the great line which Luther said as well, which is, when it comes to demons, best not to know too little, best not to know too much. In fact, that was always Luther's advice that when you're in spiritual strain. One of the reasons you never engage um, a demon is because um, they're much more clever than you. But the other is, what, what the devil wants most is honor. What he wants more is to be king. And so when you engage him, you know, too thoroughly, you give him respect that's actually not due to him. So often, for example, at an exorcism point, or where there's great spiritual struggle, you simply do sort of the bare minimum, whatever it takes to sort of solve the situation and move on to the next thing. Because any more than that begins to give honor where honor is not due. It takes a great amount of courage and calm and strength, first to engage that, and then to, to exercise it properly. I would say, you know, you're, very few of you are ever going to be in touch with anything that's demonic in that sense. But you, all of you are going to be engaged by the things that are venial and mortal sins. You know, the temptation to hurt someone else, to lie, right? The temptation to work for yourself at the expense of other people to oppress. We get tempted by this stuff every day. The, the temptation to be Selfish. We're tempted by this all the time. Some of you have one thing, some of you have others. I have some things, some things I don't struggle with. Sometimes, you know, when the things I'm struggling with, sometimes there's other attacks, those don't work, and sometimes they return. Most people I talk to, if they've paid attention to their spiritual life, can find three or four things over the course of their life that have really troubled them. And those things come back again and again and again and again, if they pay attention to their life. The the fortitude, the might, is to engage those things, to know they're coming and to engage them in a way that doesn't lash out at other people, that doesn't hurt other people, Father, forgive them, they're just clueless about what's going on. To marshal, you know, spiritual maturity is to be able to marshal that strength in a way that defeats the temptation without a lot of collateral damage. And frankly, that's not how most people act, because most people aren't mature. So for all of you, the goal of having this strength is to engage whatever troubles you have in a way that is calm and orderly, sober as how the Scriptures talk, in a way that imitates Christ. Imitate Christ? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. We did that last time, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. How did Christ react? In almost all cases, very calmly, with great sober judgment. And he saw it through to the end. So part of the reason that looking at these, both the strengths and the sins, and kind of looking at them in tandem, is so that you can bring the strength to bear against the sin. But that takes, you know, a great level of maturity. Here's the trouble. I don't know how old you are, but, um, you know, I'm 56. Nobody ever talked to me about this. In the whole time I was growing up, and I was in places where people talked about Jesus, Okay. Here's the problem. This is the kind of conversation we should be having with kids when they're 12 or 14 or 16. Because if you have to wait till you're 40 or 50 or 60 to do this, these are things that are learned by practice. And if you don't practice them over the course of the years, you don't get better. And if you don't get better, the world around you doesn't get better. This accounts for my impatience so often, you know, when I talk to you and frankly, when I talk about the church. Because it's extraordinarily clear what Jesus asks us to do and we, we, you know, we can muddle through our lives, we can just kind of get by, you know, and kind of be a church, you can just kind of be any garden variety of church, and kind of get by, you know, I had, a, I had the saddest experience, I, I just, I had a, a very fine person who was visited church, I'd had this person, I'd been engaged, I don't even know how the name came to me, somehow the name came to me, and we sort of keep track of people who are interested in the church, and we talked to them, and finally this person showed up, and well-spoken, well-dressed, you could put the person in the middle of this room, and it would be like they'd been here for 10 years, and then, you know, I don't want too much, but then the person didn't come back, and we had a very good couple of days, I mean, you engage this person, you know, families, and I I called, and I sort of said, and over the years now, I don't take this as personally as I once did. I called and said, you know, you know, you didn't come back. And, you know, I know we're not everybody's cup of tea. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. But I'm just curious what it was. And the answer um, was, we think that you demand too much of us. Now, that is a fascinating thing. Now, one thing you have to ask yourself is, is it, I mean, part of that is a kind of a gut check. Do, is it, in fact, do we demand more people than Jesus does? But I think there is a different answer, which is the church churches, in general, ask so little of people and teach people so little and are so disengaged from the creedal history of the church and from the practical care of the soul that we seem foreign to people and. God knows I'm going to die before we even get through you know, the first 2% of this. I mean, there is just so, there's so much wisdom in the church. There's so much to know. There's so much in Scripture. There's so much to do. If you argue about whether or not you're going to do it, you'll never get anything done. You know, at some point, you just got to hike up your skirt and say, here we go, right? I mean, this is what we're going to do. And that's what, that's what, that's what, that's what fortitude is this notion of courage or strength applied to what's in front of you. At some point, you know this in any aspect of life, at some point you just have to say, here we go. Now, the thing is, is it's a particular thing. You can't just translate the skills, especially the skills of force that you bring from the outside world because it looks very different in the church. So the great challenge is to be strong and yet to be gentle, you know, to be mighty and yet to be kind. to to engage people but not to break them it takes it takes so much and to work with people who sort of don't maybe want to be worked with that's why the answer is the best witness you can give is to imitate Christ in every aspect because that's what Christ did Christ came and he was extraordinarily strong right extraordinarily strong and yet he was the gentlest per, per person that ever lived. You know, a, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not put out. Calmly, soberly, mightily, gently, all those things bundled up together. And so, um, you know, and I'll just give you this, this last thing, and then we've got to go, I think. But, you know, this last thing at the seg- bottom of the second page, for though we walk in the flesh, you know, we're fleshly people, never fool yourself and think that you're only waging war against the flesh. We are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. So read that as the stuff you use in your everyday life doesn't simply translate into the church, because in your everyday life you've got earthly problems, so you, you, lose, you use earthly force in earthly ways. Okay. Some of that's true in the church because we're in the world. But... The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to, and then this should console you, to destroy strongholds. So Jesus' gentleness is stronger than Satan's strength. That's the point. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and then this is the thing, and we take every thought captive to Christ. Take every bit of your life captive to Christ. So this thing is impossible for us on our own, um, on our own, we'd be destroyed. But, um, you know, with this gift, you know, we can only survive, we can do some good. It's extraordinarily important. It's just, it's so important. It's so important for you to stay the course. It's so important to do just the basic things that Jesus asks. Because I got to tell you, we're just sort of at the basic course. I mean, we're just getting going, you know. We're just, I mean, it's just, you know, we're, you know, if you compare yourself to other people, but then Jesus, you know... Paul says, you know, never compare yourself to other Christians. So we don't. The comparison is what the Lord has given you in this place and then how you'll use that. And there is so much need. You know, the only way I can say is, you know, we, we work from the gifts we've been given and we watch out for the things that would trip us up. We work from the gifts given to us here. We watch out for the sins that would ruin us, okay? But at least for today, if you can just remember that might, strength in a divine way, works calmly and gently and orderly that's your template and when things are not calm gentle or orderly you know you're on the way towards something satanic when they are you're working in the way of jesus okay gotta go we're way late love you lord remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread